You're now listening to Vices and Vultures, a podcast on cultures. Welcome back to the unpacked segment of Vices and Vultures, where we share from our collection of solo interviews done by the co-hosts. What's going on, everybody? This is A2. My intention as a co-host is to shine light on topics that I feel don't get a lot of airtime. Last week, Monday, you learned about my friend Talia and how she taps into her extroverted personality as a form of empathy with introverts. It's a novel ideal that extroverts and introverts can coexist, but a conversation well worth having, which you should definitely check out if you're interested in communication in general. This next conversation you'll hear is from a lady who I have a ton of respect for and have had the pleasure of working under for many years. Debbie is a lady who has seen me go through many changes. Her service is to my alma mater's academic support center, as well as working closely with students that have limitations to learning, namely disabilities. As a sibling of a child with limitations of her own, I've always been thankful to have been associated with the passion Debbie puts into her work. Here's our conversation. My name is Debbie Forche Sweeney. I'm the director of the Teaching Learning Center at Union College and we provide accessibility and accommodation support for students with disabilities along with academic support to all students on campus whether that's through um, academic coaching or tutoring um, just helping students find resources those kind of things as long as it's directly related to academics which let's be real when you're in college everything is related to academics um, and affects your academics. And so we're here to support students in their journey to help them reach their goals, whatever that is. Awesome. So how long have you been in this particular, not necessarily like the teaching learning center, but just with academic support in general? Oh, okay. Well, the teaching, like being a union in the teaching learning center, that's really my um, first role in that position, um, you know, working with academic sport. I've done a lot of things before this job, mm -hmm. uh, but I've been at Union since 2001. Eeks, that's a long time. <laughs> that's how long I've been here. That's very, very long. And so you've all, <laughs> so you've always, so you've always been in this academic support role. I think the first thing that I think of when I think of academic support is just there are only certain, there are only a certain amount of individuals who are really built to be in academic support in order for it to be truly effective. And um, I want to know, and for the sake of like the audience, for those who are listening, um, my next question and my biggest question is like, what has been, what was the driving force behind, um, taking on a job such as this? Um, is there like a particular moment in time? Is there like a person in your life or people? Um, that's kind of like my, like my big question that I'm just going to lead off with, because I think, again, as I said, if somebody's going to do this as successfully as you have. And thankfully, for those who are listening, I've had the opportunity to work with Debbie for, what was it, like six years? Five, yeah. six, five almost six years. And just mm -hmm. to be able to um, be under her wing and just learn about what she does, there's, there's this really strong passion that comes from being there. And it's not just a job. It's not income. It's also looking at the outcome of things. So what was... 
what is or what was the thing or things that brought you into this role? Well, yeah, that's a long story. So I'll try to see, try to make it not too long, but, um, you know, I graduated from union college with a degree in social work. And while I was here, I was also a TLC student. And if it wasn't for the TLC, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess God always has a way of working things out, but in, in my mind, I'm guessing maybe I would have never gone to college. Um, thought I was capable of going to college or any of those things. So the TLC is what allowed that to happen and um, found out I could be a very successful learner and and I was a very successful college student and I and I owe a lot of that to the people who were there were here at the time. Um, and so graduated, went on to do many things and Union has a guaranteed ed program and I thought, hmm, I I think I would like to take advantage of that. Things were getting to a point in my job where things needed to change. And so I looked into becoming an art teacher because I actually, when I got my degree in social work, I also got my minor in art. And so that worked out for me. When I came back to do that, the director at the time said, who was also here when I was here as a student, um, said, hey, you would be a great academic coach. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So she hired me. And the rest is history. She she um, was an amazing, amazing mentor to me as well. And um, things happened for her where she had the opportunity to move on. And she put my name in for the director. So they hired me to promoted me to that position and I've been here ever since. Ever since. So, yeah. And so, I mean, I'm passionate about the TLC for many reasons because of the um, opportunities the people who had worked here, you know, before me had done for me as a student and then also, you know, now what I do. So when students come in here, I get it on so many levels personally and professionally so it being just the struggles of just making sure that um as you said before acad academia is so much of college itself is that what you were referring to yeah and you know you talk about um you know balancing school and if you have to work to go to college or balancing um, relationships, or if you are a student with a disability, trying to navigate the acceptance and understanding of your disability and then self-advocating um, and, you know, fighting to um, get where you need to get and be able to use accommodations and trying to be, you know, you know, trying to be independent and at the same time, embrace the fact that accommodations are what makes you independent, you know, all of those things. And mm. so when kids come in here and they're having those kind of struggles, um, the conversation for me can look probably different than it could for some people because, you know, I've experienced all of that. Right. For, yeah. Right. I want to talk more about disability. Um, 
accommodations, particularly because um, I do have a sister that um, is special ed and she's needed accommodations as she's gone through her schooling. And so I think part one of the big reasons why I've enjoyed working with you, I had enjoyed working with you for six years is because um, immediately I under we both understood how important um, this uh this service was to students with there. So um, on on that note, um, I'm just trying to think of, um, is there anything like, let's maybe for you personally, what was there anything um, going through your schooling that you had to overcome as far as like a disability or was it something that a close friend or a family member was going through as well? Oh, I would say both, although you know, most of my K through 12 experience was in our private schools. And so I never knew any, I mean, nobody ever recognized. I mean, we just didn't have that information, especially back when I was, you know, right. Um, okay. So I'm just a little bit older. So back then, <laughs> um, so I would say that, um, the frustration came that, I, for myself, was never even diagnosed until I came to Union, and um, it was because of the people at the TLC that helped. They were like, hey, you know, this is probably what's going on, mm-hmm. and, and then I found out, and that made a huge difference in my life, right? Because now all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not stupid. I'm actually really smart. I'm extremely capable of doing all of these things. I just didn't understand that this is what I needed to do in order for me to learn. Mm -hmm. And now I have this opportunity to gain all of these new strategies and all of these new techniques and utilizing accommodations. Um, In my first semester in college, I had a 4.0 that had never happened through K through 12. I can tell you right now. Um, So, that experience from the struggles, you know, not knowing, right? And then the the opportunity to, to discover this is what was going on and then understand the diagnosis because I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, just don't go in and you see a doctor and they say, oh, you have this and they say, here you go. And then you're supposed to walk out, you know, whether it's a, you know, no matter what type of diagnosis it is, right? It doesn't matter if it's learning disability, ADD, any other type of mental health, if it's a physical, medical, it doesn't matter. You get this label, I suppose, this title, and then what are you supposed to do with that? And it's not like you didn't have it before, but now it's just been validated, you have a name for it. But what do you do with that? And, and you know, for different people, that journey looks different. You know, maybe there's some grieving, maybe there's some frustration, maybe there's some denial. But once you can move to acceptance, then you can start to learn more about it and how it actually plays out in your own life. Because once you do that, then you can make some good decisions and do great things for yourself. But until those things happen, um, you know, the journey can be really difficult. And I see that in students, you know, like maybe they've never been diagnosed. They come in, they see me, we have conversations, they, you know, move on and they go see someone, they come back with the documentation. 
that they were diagnosed with ADD or, or learning disability or, you know, anxiety, whatever, you know, once the conversation can start growing and understanding that, you know, this is what this is and this is how it plays out, um, you just can see the growth happen with the students. Amazing. Right. I, wow, that's that's very powerful. And I, I completely agree. I have a lot of <clears throat> other people aside from within my family that I have seen kind of go through this process. So something that I'm wondering is how do you get to the stage of acceptance? Because as you said, when people find out about a diagnosis and it's usually like way after they should have found out about it. And that's a whole nother thing that may have to do with just like the culture that they grew up in or like, you know, um, yeah. how they grew up and things like that. Um, how do you personally work through the conversation of getting the student to a stage of acceptance? Because getting a diagnosis about something that makes them feel less than quote unquote normal is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question because um, I'd like to say that there's some magic formula that works for every single person. Right. But, but that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, that's the thing, you, you know, I guess my, I guess what, what I meant is like, you know, there isn't a cookie, like a one size fits all answer. There isn't a cookie cutter answer, but where do you guide the conversation to get to that point? Um, as far as the language that you use or the words that you speak or like the references that you pull up or the stories that you remember in conversations with these students. Yeah. So I think a big part of that AJ is just trying to get to know the person mm -hmm. And then also providing just an uh, atmosphere or a place where that where the student or whoever it is the person um, feels like oh this is no big deal right mm -hmm. I, I mean it's, it's not this is not a big deal right and so if I, when they see that that I that's how I feel about it then they can start kind of feeling comfortable more oh okay so this isn't that big of a deal maybe I can discuss this with you maybe I can share this with you um and then a lot of that is part of that relationship building and I will tell you that I can sense when students come in here who's ready for that and who isn't mm -hmm. right and and if you're not ready for that conversation if you're not ready to kind of accept help right then um it's there's it'd be harmful for me to try to push them into it right right um there's you know there might be and that looks different for every student so there might be a crossroad where where happens you know whatever comes where that conversation can be more in your face or there's times when it comes about because the student themselves recognize they're ready so they can come so it's packaged for, you know, just differently for every single kid or person or student. And I think the best part or the, the most important part of that is just trying to be really aware of where that person is at the time mm -hmm. so you know how to approach it. Um, and they have to know that, that it's a safe place to come and talk. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you know how I am about confidentiality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so, and every single person who works here, you know, 
it takes, they're like, oh, come on, you know, they like, act like, oh, that's kind of like, um, like I'm overkill on it, you know, a little bit. But in order for students to be able to go through all of that process that you and I just discussed, they have to know that every single person who is employed or work in, the, in this department embraces that concept of confidentiality, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, prior to working there for six years, I worked for three years um, in accounting. And so to an extent, I already understood there was an element of confidentiality that I had to abide by because I was processing a lot of information that was that simply, you know, was not accessible to anybody else. And so coming into there and understanding that this was the same concept, but just dealing with people's lives and, you know, situations rather than just numbers. Um, it was something that I took very seriously. And I know that um, in the six years that I've been there, one thing that's always been constant is, you know, to the point of, like you said, overkill. Um, it's just so important to curate that atmosphere of this is a safe place. Like, you know, what happens here stays here. And being able to this reminds me of the conversation that we had prior to um starting recording and um what we were talking about was um my experience in the past six months i had started teaching in the past six months and one of my biggest revelations with this because this is the first time i started teaching i teach piano is um being open to listening to your students because um, every single student is different. And if they feel like they're not valued and their time and um, the energy and the attention that they give you is not being valued, then they're not going to they're not going to respond to whatever you're going to either teach them or tell them, you know, whether I'm giving you instructions on how to do your skills properly or whether I'm trying to figure out what's going on in your life as a person. Part of it is just listening. And I feel that um, with pe with specifically with people with disabilities, um, I've seen it firsthand with the way that people would respond and react um, whenever they interact with my sister is the fact that they don't take the time to listen and understand the the vastness of the situation because they are too busy coming up with conclusions that have been um, that they have either formed themselves and or have been given to them prior to you know what i mean oh yeah i totally know what you mean and you can see that happen like i mean i see it happen for me because when i came back here you know to work there was a lot of people who were my teachers so they already knew you know about well i'll just disclose but i have a learning disability and i have um attention deficit with the, in like the inattentive type versus the hyper although i have a little hyper but if you knew me you'd be surprised that i have any hyper at all but because <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm just kind of laid back like that but um you know so when i started you know there's some people who already knew but a lot of people didn't know that about me and so i was you know was really cautious the first few years on you know um disclosing that even to students or families that were coming in, you know, because, you know, sometimes once you disclose that you can almost see like this shift in people's posture, you know, they're just like, huh, <laughs> you know, like, 
and, and, there, and, and it's not like people mean it mean will or you know I mean I'd like to think although I'm sure there's some people who are mean but um, it just happens you know and it's part of maybe they just don't understand I don't know but I totally I, you know and you get to observe that it, you know happening firsthand with your sister and it's yeah I, I know so you just kind of for me especially what we call these are like hidden disabilities so like if you looked at me you wouldn't know i have a learning disability or that i have add right mm -hmm. you wouldn't know that just by if i was in coffee you know in coffee house you saw me you would go oh but it's so you know people make those assumptions based on that well then when you add that extra information then things shift mm -hmm. and and yeah so it's I don't know. It's interesting to see how that all plays out and truly is not right. Right. Um, <clears throat> something I'm thinking about right now is since you've been at the TLC uh, since 01, how has how have you been able to see the reaction to what you and all of your staff bring to the campus as far as awareness on not only disability, but expanding the conversation to just accommodating people that, you know, might need a little extra time doing like a test or something like that. Um, how have how has the reaction, you know, I mean, obviously there was the, the TLC before you stepped in, but in your experience, how have you seen the student body and not only the student body, but also the staff as well kind of embrace this uh, over the years? Yeah, so I that's a good question. <laughs> you make me think so much about these things. And so hopefully I answer well, the questions you're asking me because it makes me like go on these long journeys in my head. Well, the podcast um, is called Unpacked. We're unpacking stuff here. Yeah, most definitely. So I will say this. When I was a student here, back in the day okay so i was you know i graduated from union in 94. um you know that was there was a lot of changes happening and and awareness about learning disabilities and that had been happening for a while but really i think it you know became i mean you know there was like you're too young for this but after school specials on kids who were diagnosed the cosby show had you know theo had been diagnosed so more and more things were coming out about learning disabilities and you were seeing it more and more um oh in like culture yeah and culture and um probably in research and mm -hmm. uh, you know laws had been really becoming more and more relevant um you know president Bush Sr. signed the Americans with Disabilities Act. And right. Even though 504 had been in play for a while. Um, so here's what I guess what I'm trying to say is anything new takes time for people to accept, right? And so when you all of a sudden you're a teacher and you've never had to deal with, I guess, um, your kid like your college students who might have learning disabilities you know uh so back then people would be like i don't believe this this isn't a thing 
kind of attitude, you know? That's very, very strong, especially in my experience, especially with uh, minority cultures. Um, something, especially like specifically within the dis- like the disability conversation, um, a lot of it is just brushed off to the side as something that it couldn't happen to me type mm-hmm. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or this does, you know, especially like with learning disabilities back then, right? It was more about, you know, comments like, oh, you're just lazy. You're not trying. Yes. You know, you just need to pay more attention. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. You just sound it, sound it out. Can't you spell that word? Why can't you spell that word? Just sound it out. I would sound it out if I could interpret the sounds of the letters. You know, yep. that kind of stuff. Yep. So, you know, so, so I think as in anything else, it's a journey. And so everybody's, you know, from back then to now, people know so much more. There's been so much more acceptance. People are getting it. You know, if I have a, you know, I can send accommodations letter. I can contact people. They're just like, oh, okay. And back when I was in school, it was like, yeah, no, I don't believe this. I don't think this is a thing. I don't understand why they're not getting it. Right. But now it's more like, and, and, you know, we don't disclose disabilities in, in the college setting. So, um, you know, I've seen over the years, even since I've been the director, less questioning, like why, you know, used to be questions like, well, I don't understand why this kid specifically is getting this accommodation. There's less questioning of even of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that some of that doesn't still happen because I think, you know, people are eager to help and sometimes they want to know more than they need to know. But but I, I even the, like the last five years, that I've seen a big shift where people don't even ask me anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that's, you know, that's happened, you know, that's where I have to be, you know, repetitive and my staff have to be repetitive and saying, you know, this is something I can't share, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I think after a while, people just start to get to either understand or they just accept that that's the way it is. But, um, yeah. So I think, so back to your original question, as we unpack this, as you say, um, all of that is part of education, acceptance, um, people learning more and more about disabilities and people's rights, you know, people with disabilities rights. I think that's a huge part of it. Right. Um, And, you know, then I think people, people just need to. If they get it, that's like, you know what, this is like, if you have, if you have someone in your life who has a disability, you get it. Mm -hmm. Right. If you don't, then you don't get it. Right. So, but you don't have to have somebody in your life with a disability in order to get it. You just have to be open to learning. Yes. And that's exactly what I was going to go for. Just being open to get it because there are some, there are some individuals for a long time. I wasn't open to receiving certain aspects of how this affected me in my personal life and my relationship with my sister, because this is the only sibling that I have. And, but once I started to understand it and, take time to like see things for like what they are. Um, I see two things. I see a, the conditioning that led us here because that's part of the problem. I feel like a lot of the issues is that because of the various responses that do more harm than good to people who are in need. And, and I love how you said rights because, um, these people with disabilities do have rights as well. And so, 
but people don't realize that because they think that because they're not normal, they don't, they're not, um, they don't have, uh, what's it, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't have as many privileges or things like that. No, it's like, you know, these people are humans as well. Um, there's just, I think the biggest thing for me is just, there's so much, there's so much ignorance that, that goes on. And I think people are just w a lot more willing to, um, just ignore and just, as you said, like not necessarily question instead of take, take the steps to dig deeper because, um, in your position and in any other staff position and even just people who are either siblings of or parents of or friends with, uh, I think there's a really great responsibility in taking the time to understand this person, not only like on a person to person level, but understanding what it is that they're struggling with and how you can best accommodate them. Um, well, I was just going to say exactly what you said. So. Okay, so first of all, no, nobody's normal. Right. I, I mean, what is, what is normal? Please, there, nothing. There's nothing about any single person on this earth that is normal. Now, there may be some things that are more alike or bigger population may have more um, tendencies to do or behave in a certain way, but nothing is normal. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'd say, say that. And then the other thing is, you know, um, I've been, don't let this go to your ego, but I've been listening to your podcast, sir. <laughs> and, uh, and what's fascinating about this is some of those people I know, right. But you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of union people on the podcast. <laughs> there, there is. Um, but, but I'm, I keep myself kind of isolated, as you know. And um, so I know people on the sense of I go to a meeting, I see you, I know somewhat about you, but I don't know you, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So listening to two, two of my colleagues specifically you have interviewed, mm -hmm. and I'm listening to their podcast, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. You're right. kidding me. And then, and I'm like, oh my word, that's exactly like me. I've had that same experience. Right. I can completely relate to that, but I didn't even know this about them. That's crazy. Sit in a meeting with somebody like, uh, for the last how many years? And I don't know this stuff. And part of that's not part of a lot. That's on me. I just, I'm just I keep myself isolated. But my point to that is until you start talking to people and learning about them as an individual, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the same thing. I mean, this, if the people with disabilities, that's, there's nothing different about that. It is the same thing. Right. Right. You, people with disabilities love to watch TV or they hate TV. They love going to movies or they hate going to movies. They love to read or they hate to read. They, you know, are introverts or they're extra and they're just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're just have this, one extra thing that they have to um, work through with their life, you know, and why we want to um, I don't know, box people into things. I don't know why, but we do it. Yeah. But some of that, some of that is okay too, right? Because we talk about stereotypes, right? And and it's not that's not a good thing necessarily right but sometimes a friend of mine said this to me sometimes in our privately in our own heads we have to put things in categories so we just understand a little better right 
right? And I think that's okay too, because I'm not saying that we um, should just be like dismissive of what a disability is and not worry about it. I mean, we have to recognize it. We have to understand it. We need more research and, and we need the medical community to be definitely involved in trying to understand. We need, um, you know, so many, I mean, so many aspects to this, I guess I can keep talking about it, but yeah. Anyway, well, I appreciate the fact it's a that passion. You, I can't help yes, <laughs> yes, I appreciate the fact that you've been listening and been able to make that very, very keen observation and relate it to what we were talking about. Because, um, again, this is just another conversation that we had off air is part of this process of being able to understand people on a very, very deep level is taking the time to remove your pride and say, like, I'm going to we're going to become best friends type thing. It's the way that I approach my, the relationships with not only my students, but the parents. And for the most part, I've been able to achieve that. And it's only been like half a year in. So I'm excited for um, the next half a year. One of my students tells me, um, I don't want you to stop working here. You know what I mean? And that is something that, you know, she comes in and like, you know, we have like real conversations, not only about piano, but like other stuff. And it's, it's very, it's, it's, I can't, I can't even put it in words. Um, Isn't that the craziest feeling? Like I have students that say, you can't graduate, you can't retire, you can't get a different job or you can't leave, right. you know, until, you know, it never was, you can't retire until just recently, you know, cause you know, getting older, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that happens, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it does. It fills your heart. It fills your soul. Yes. But, but as I always say that, um, you know, I mean, that feels so good. But on the flip side of that, I try not to take too much of that in because, you know, I don't want to take too much ownership of that because it's, it's about, again, it goes back to that person. That person's been willing to come in. That person's willing to put in the effort. That person's willing to be open and learn that, you know, so, um, yeah. Yep. I always say I provide opportunities and options and what you do with them, you know, that's, you know, my role is just that. So, um, absolutely. So taking the conversation of what the TLC does and not only what it does, but what it stands for, disabilities, accommodations, um, et cetera. What has that looked like in, um, you know, on a bigger, on a bigger scale with starting with maybe the local community, have, have you or any of your staff been able to do anything in the local community or even beyond that? that has been able to just put a voice to certain things that yeah. you guys stand for? You know, I wish I could say we have, you know, about eight years ago, we, you know, the TLC um, in about 87 became, no, they had transitioned into a program for students with um, disabilities, learning disabilities, had a program specifically for students with learning disabilities. Um, and then also accommodations for all people with, you know, students with disabilities. And then when I became the director about a year, year to end, they had asked if we would take on, you know, like the kids that were um, accepted on a probationary status and then kids that were here that ended up on academic probation. And then the next thing we knew, we're, you know, we've kind of opened our doors to everybody. So I would say, and the, and the bigger scale of things for the community, that's been really limited, unfortunately. 
um, and on our own campus, it happens more in a one-to-one opportunity versus on a big scale. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And I think that's, I think that makes perfect sense because at the end of the day, something as personal as this can only be the most successful when it is done personally. Um, again, I refer back to just my current teaching experiences and the only way I don't think I would have nearly as much of an impact on these kids if I taught them in a corporate setting as opposed to just one on one. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, I like that a lot. And um, but it's, it's amazing to me how many people don't still realize um, their rights you know, to go to school or those kind of things, even even on our own campus, you know, I'll still hear somebody who may be here in their junior year and they'll say, oh, I wish I would have known about you guys. I'm like, oh, my word. How did you not know about us? You know, right. we, we do presentations for every single, you know, first year orientation. We, you know, we I, I don't know. I just don't know how you didn't know about us. Um, and on the flip side of that, most of our referrals are coming because students tell their friends. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, I go to the TLC and it's really been helpful. You should go, you know, but there's still that stigma of asking for help. That's still, um, you know, how we always do this in the end of the semester evaluations. And one of the comments we get back, several comments always is um, asking for help is difficult. Um, I wish people. I wish other people on campus knew about this service and weren't afraid to ask for help. I wish people didn't think poorly of me because I was coming in here. You know, those kind of things are still present after all these years, mm-hmm. you know, and how do we address those types of things? Um, yeah, that's difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. To do, it's difficult to do on a large scale, I think, yeah. you know. No, it definitely, it definitely starts, it definitely starts with the, with the one-on-ones and it grows over time. And in, in just manifestations such as referrals, I believe that it's very, it's very clear that the, the help that is needed is only just a, um, a referral away type of thing. Uh Um, I think that, I think that the biggest thing for me, as far as this topic goes, is the fact that sometimes people aren't while there are people that are willing to to look for ways to better themselves i think a lot of times we we put our energies in the wrong place we look to um we look to different things in order to satisfy us and we think that they're going to satisfy us and maybe they will but only for a short period of time um and then we just end up being emptier um than before and Human nature is so funny. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we're talking about avoidance for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's where, you know, we talked about kind of towards the, end, the beginning of this is acceptance. Yeah. And I, and I don't mean this on this, you know, I'm not trying to get all self-helpy here on you, but um, acceptance is such a huge part of that in anything. Yeah. Yep. Um, what I think about, and I'm I'm a, I'm really big on this because I understand the double-edged sword nature of it. And I'm still learning it every single day. Um, is social media? I feel that social media and social media marketing and networking is a very very useful tool, and it's professionally 
it's helped me so much. Um, just this past week, um, I've been able to meet with somebody because I leveraged Instagram in a very strategic manner. And it was cool because this individual also um, leverages Instagram in a strategic manner. So I was able to meet up with this person because um, I just, you know, did the right things. And there's there's a right and wrong way to do everything, right? But I feel like a lot of times people run to Instagram and they run to social media and they run to, you know, these nice photos and they com they spend so much time comparing their behind the scenes to somebody's highlight reel. And it ends up doing so much damage um, that when it comes time to, to, accept a very viable opportunity to become better, such as, you know, what is provided in TLC and not only what is provided in TLC, but what people in academic support and people who work with uh, in special education and disabilities, um, when they provide that opportunity, sometimes they're in such a position of like, oh, I'm so worthless because they spent so much time filling their filling, um, trying to fill their lives up with things that leave them emptier than before. You see what I'm saying? So that's so that's so huge, especially in especially in my in my generation and the landscape that I've navigated, like in undergrad from 2011 to 2016, I see so many people um, putting their energy in the wrong place. And so like even even friends of mine and, you know, everybody has to answer to what they do. And it's like different for every single person. But I time and again, there's just so much damage that's done from not from looking in the wrong places. And I think I think in this age of information um, and to the point where it's just an overload of information, we have an opportunity to find what we need to a lot more efficiently than we did back then. And I can't speak for how things were back then because I'm not that old, but at the same time, <laughs> no, I'm not saying like that, that came across very bad. Um, I'm not that I'm old. Not even, I'm not even old. Right. No, you're <laughs> not, so you're not old. even old. I'm, 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 I'm agree with you there. You're not that old, but I think that things are a lot easier than before, but I still think that we make it a lot harder than we needed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's okay. See, that's what the thing though. I mean, you know, 20 years, with or without social, I mean, how long has social media even been around? I don't even know. But, you know, the, the thing that's funny about that is this type of conversation would have been surrounded about some other thing. Do you know what I mean? Like what? Okay, so, um, you know, I hear people say things like, oh, this generation and their social media and da 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 da. Okay, well, this, okay, now this is going to make me sound old. That same kind of conversation would have been taking place around those darn kids. They're out cruising the street all the time late at night. Why are they cruising? They're wasting gas. That, what is the point of that? Why are they, you know, that kind of thing. So this this theme, you know, this, this thing that is um, consistent is here's this thing that's happening now, social media, um, whatever it was back in the day. I don't even know. I can't even think of anything other than cruising. And I'm not even sure why that just came up in my mind, but do you even know what cruising is? You mean talking about driving? <laughs> just like, just driving just to drive, no specific place to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. 
yeah. back in my day, you get in the car, you go up and down the street, you get to see people, you wave, you get to meet people, you might pull over in a parking lot, a group of people. Right. I like, I like doing all of that except the interaction with other people because I like driving by myself. But I do like, I do understand what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, you know what I mean, though? I mean, the, the, the essence of the conversation the thread of that conversation is consistent yes it's just the yes. the um the what would, what's the good you're so much more articulate than i am aj what's the thing it's just the venue or the item that yeah. may have changed yeah, the, you know? the vehicle's different literally and figuratively it's social mm-hmm. media now it could be something completely different in 20 years 20 years ago it was cruising and mm-hmm. 20 years before that it was something completely different um i don't know um crocheting i don't know uh, <laughs> but i understand what you're saying and you know the the way that i interpret it of course in in my context is social media but at the end of the day what what i was getting at and you know we're we're saying the same thing in different ways is we spend there there's too much time put into things that ultimately won't give us any fulfillment and satisfaction whether it's social media or whether it's just wasting time and wasting gas um when in when in reality there are so many more things that need to be addressed especially given the fact that there are individuals who you know need a little bit more help than other people but they spend so much time like as they've grown up hearing this narrative of like oh you're not good enough or oh like you know whatever whatever you're struggling with is not that big of a deal like you need to work harder stop being lazy as you said like as you said as examples like all these things so um i think for me i've always the ethos of this podcast is unpacked which means to unbox things and dig deeper in things and so i'm i'm a very big advocate of that not a lot of people are and i think it's because the truth is not something that is very sexy the truth is very ugly to a lot of people and but at the same time the truth will set you free one of my favorite authors says the truth will set you free but the it doesn't make the truth hurt any less nor does it make the truth any prettier nor does it absolve you of the responsibility that the truth requires and i feel like responsibility is such an important word in that quote because the truth requires responsibility but not a lot of people are willing to become accountable to that responsibility especially when it comes to their livelihood and i think that's so important you know what i mean yeah that that was that was beautifully said and we all i mean there's not we are all guilty of that yep all of us are guilty of that and again we're human and that's why when people ask me you know do you think this do you think this student can make it? Do you think this student can do? Like I don't know, because here's the thing, and and, the, and I find this out too. It's like I'm, I feel like I'm, I get guilty of being on the fence, you know, all the time. But here's why I'm on the fence with things all the time, because there isn't an answer, mm-hmm. right? So we are all subject to what you just expressed. We yep. all do Even that. myself. I, it's, yes. It's every day, every single yes. day. Yes, and and. You know, if you were a gambling person, uh, people are not, you can't gamble on them. You can't because you, you just, don't, it's unpredictable. 
there's there's some things that you might be able to measure that might be consistent but we are all guilty of what you just said and we are all different and we all come to to those conclusions in different ways we may have some similarities like listening to my colleagues you know on your podcast i'm like oh my goodness i I have that same thing that same experience that same you know whatever but we are still vastly different i don't know how that came out from what you just said why are you making me think about all this stuff it's crazy because you're a guest on this podcast and that's what we talk about (laughs) it's so funny Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Vices and Vultures and considering being a supporter of this project. Even leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform goes a long way for us. There is more information about this episode as well as who we are in the show notes. This includes all of our social media links so you can see us and not just hear us. Vices and Vultures is brought to you by Aesthetic and is based in the great state of New York. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for more episodes and tune in next time to Vices and Vultures.